Today, uh, I talked to the musician and uh, aspiring linguist, uh, Mick Collins, uh, about as many bands uh, coming up in Detroit and uh, uh, working on a, a brand new language, amongst other things. It was a fun talk, and uh, I know you'll enjoy it. Here we go. So, how are you doing? Good. It's been uh, it's been a good couple of a uh, good couple of weeks. I'm feeling pretty good right now. Cool. Yeah. So the last time I when a steady I... job. So that's the yeah. Right. Working at a record store, which you know is part for the course for a musician. So yeah, that's fine. <laughs> we'll take what we can get yeah yeah so it's, it's going pretty well over there yeah i'm, yeah. I'm really <laughs> that's cool uh long time since i've had a job where i felt my opinions were respected <laughs> that's a bonus <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah uh so yeah when i came i came to visit you were you're about to do a dj set be uh, opening for the MC5, how'd that go? It went really well, actually. People, I don't, I don't, I'm not sure people were expecting me to to toe the line there because usually my DJ gigs are kind of anything goes, mm -hmm. and you know that was a problem when I got to New York because you know in Detroit it didn't matter. Everybody knew that I, you know, would would play whatever would you know that was expected practically. Yeah. But, it, you know, but when I got here, everybody thought I was trying to be a rock star. And so, you know, they expected me to, to play, you know, the stuff that, you know, scenesters played kind of thing. And it was weird because, you know, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not what they expected when I got here. Like I was, I'm like an art nerd and yeah. they were expecting the person they saw on stage. Right. Yeah. They needed you to like sort of fit with the, with the, yeah, that yeah, image. Yeah. That isn't, that isn't, that's not my scene. It was never my scene, you know, the, it was it was yeah yeah so it got awkward and then i got a dj gig i got i got i got some dj gigs at first mm -hmm. and then well what is this is you know and i wasn't playing really what they expected and people got mad because they you know uh and, and so i i managed to really loved what i did and then i got a residency and mm -hmm. so to build up a kind of a, a small fan base from my residency yeah but this thing doing the MC five was kind of a stretch. Nobody expected me to do what I do at my residency. And no, I played what you expect to hear when you're going to see the MC five. And so it was very positive because everybody was like, Oh wow, this is great. And people actually commented on it yeah. on social media that, you know, that I had done this, I had done a DJ set that everybody, <laughs> you know, which you know, so, so that was nice. It might, it hopefully will lead to other DJ gigs, but I mean, it's weird because I don't mind doing the DJ gigs, but, you know, like I, um, I just thought, especially in New York, people were a lot more expansive in their musical tastes. Uh huh. Which you know, at least in that that particular rock scene, does not seem to be the case, and it's it's a little bothersome. But I've gotten used to it over the years. Now, like I said, I've got a little, I've got a thing, I got a residency, and it's yeah. fun. It's fine now. And, you know, and I can do, you know, like my, my one, my one chief complaint is, you know, there was, there's like a scene of DJ things where they want, everything has to be like original vinyl. Mm -hmm. 
And I'm like, no, you know, no, I'm no, you're not paying the insurance that it would cost me to take my original vinyl anywhere. Oh yeah. Like I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to go out with a bunch of $300 singles yeah. and play like you're not paying me that kind of money. So no, if you want me to play that kind of music, I'm going to do it off my laptop because you know, yeah. I can pack a box of records that cost more than an apartment on fifth Avenue. Yeah. And I'm going to do it because you're not paying me for it. Right. So (laughs) it's not like they're like, you're playing it. I can't imagine you're playing it through a sound system where somebody would really, really know the fucking difference. Exactly. You know, when you're, I have this, I have this discussion all the time with music professionals. Yeah. Especially people who are like, Oh, you know, analog is better than digital and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah. It's better than, you know, CD, blah, blah, blah. Look, look, when you're in a bar, half in the bag, listening to somebody DJ off an iPod. Yeah. Bar sound system. Like, you know, no one gives a shit what kind of mic tree was used on the rhythm guitar. Yeah. No one, no one cares. You know, they both have their, both analog and digital have their benefits and they both have their limitations. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to the end person. No, and yeah, ultimately, it's you know you're listening to music, and if you just yeah, fetish yeah. fetishize the, the the one delivery system, you're you're kind of losing the point. Absolutely. You see, when when if if your problem with the song is that it was recorded digitally or that you're listening to it digitally, it's not the song. The problem yeah. is the song. The problem is you. Yeah. Because you're not listening to the music. Yeah, I just uh, I, I just recorded one of these with. Uh, with Tom from Cheater Slicks and, you know, he's, you know, he's been involved with the record business for like his whole life. Yeah. And he's totally ready to like put out the next Cheater Slicks, you know, quote unquote record on, (laughs) on streaming and CD because he doesn't want to wait another two fucking years, you know? Oh yeah. For the vinyl to be available. He's fine with, you know, he's, he's like one of the biggest record nerds ever, you know, like, and he's yeah, there's, there's, he's on the same page, you know. Yeah, because you, as as a person, as I've been a record collector since I was nine. Yeah. You know, and I, love, I love my forty fives and I love my LPs, but as a musician, as a you know, as a recording musician, yeah, I don't want to wait that long either. I want no. people to have the have the record, have the songs as quick as they can get them, because that's how I get paid. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and. Them hearing and, that I have new music out makes them that much more willing to come to a show where I actually make money. I know. Yeah. And I mean, it's terrible. Yeah, this delay and, and, you know, that, you know, put the pandemic on top of it where, you know, you guys couldn't even play. And we couldn't even play. Exactly. Yeah. Wolfman uh, has an album coming out. Uh, allegedly, it's coming out this year. Yeah. We did it in 2020. Yeah. Well, we got it in 2019. Yeah. We cut the album in 2019, and it may be out this year, right? Because you know the and and really the reason I'm sure I'm sure you had this same discussion with, with with Tom Shannon. The reason is because the three remaining major labels, yeah. Warner, Universal, and Sony, have tied up every pressing plant in the country. Yeah, pressing new versions of records that already had seven million copies out. Yeah, we don't need any more copies of Rumors by Fleetwood Mac. We don't <laughs> need the Blood Zeppelin Four. 
you know, we don't need any more of these records, but then we, we don't need any more copies of Sergeant Pepper. Well, somehow we do because I work in a record shop and I have never worked in a record shop that did not sell two copies of Sergeant Pepper a week. Yeah. I don't know how that keeps happening. But you are, yeah, you haven't yet sold a copy of the box set that includes uh, a separate LP <laughs> for every instrument that was recorded on that record, right? Not yet, but you will soon. <laughs> we will see the other one. We, have, we haven't had the addition where, you know, some where Eddie Kramer, the engineer, you know, cranked the mid range, the 3K and another DB. Yeah. And so it makes it a whole new edition now. It's nuts. It's, it, yeah, the, you know, they keep, and, 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 and I personally, I personally feel that this is deliberate. Yeah. The plants tied up just to keep any other record labels from being able to press records. Huh. I honestly feel it's a deliberate because again, you know, rumors in 19 rumors came out. It sold 12 million copies. Yeah. So there's no need to press anymore. And yet Warner music group continually keeps that thing in print. Hey, look, I remember when I was visiting you at that, at that record store, a middle-aged guy came in and asked for the Eagles greatest hits on vinyl yeah. you know and i didn't say anything but it was like a a graphic audio visual illustration of what we were talking about absolutely that's another one that's <laughs> another one we will continually sell the eagles greatest hits yeah it's one of the i learned that one at two record stores back it's like why does why do we keep buying this record when, you know, <laughs> and yeah. the reason we keep buying it is because we keep selling it yeah now the question of why we keep selling it is lost on is lost to me. I have no answer for that. Why do people keep buying the Eagles? I just don't understand. Yeah, they yeah. have about three. They have about three passable songs. Timothy <laughs> Good, they're passable. Yeah, I, I like that one song that that Timothy <laughs> Schmidt sings. <laughs> like the real sappy ballad. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't know. There's a sappy ballad that's good. Yeah. And then uh, heartache tonight's good. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. I, you know, and then I can't think of another one really. There's this two. There's heartache tonight, and I can't tell you why. And then I don't like anything else by them. Yeah, that's I can't tell you why it was the one I was thinking of. Yeah, yeah that's, 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 that's the Timothy that's Schmidt song. Yeah, one. it's the only good one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, no, as they say, no accounting for taste. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll never get it myself, but whatever. So not it's not for me to judge. I just sell the records. No, no, for sure. Yeah. Want to buy a copy of Sergeant Pepper? We happen to have one in stock because we always have it in stock. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, let's see this set. This Saturday, I'm going to go. I'm going to be part of like a record release party for an album that was supposed to come out two years ago that I, I did the artwork for. Oh, man. Because there's like this is that what record release. What's that? Is that what I'm looking at here? Is that what this picture is? Uh, where on the Zoom? Yeah. No, no, no. That's beans looking over a spilled beer bottle. No, that's a that's a that's a Philip Gustin painting. Uh, oh. Well, it's my drawing of a Philip Gustin painting. I have a tattoo of that on the, on, on my gut. Yeah. Oh, all right. <laughs> I just use I use that on all the as an avatar on like 
whatever. I don't do any of the social media anymore, but like wherever I need an avatar, that's yeah. usually my my favorite one to use. I like it. Yeah, I, I uh, well, there was I couldn't find a drawing of it, so I just did my own drawing for the tattoo guy. <laughs> Because awesome. it's, pa- it's a painting, it's a full color painting, but oh wow, yeah, yeah, so yeah, it's that's his like one of his many, many artist life paintings, you know. <laughs> <laughs> he's got his, you know, he's got his light bulb, he's got the, the bottle of wine, and he's got this like paintbrush on the bottom, and his oh, yeah. in a book, yeah. I guess at first, I thought it was a knife, no, well, it could be either, yeah. I mean, he, you know this was his late in lifestyle where he, you know, he, you know, he was kind of, he was this like very celebrated abstract expressionist for a long time. And then he started making these weird uh, kind of cartoonish paintings the last right. decade of his life that he got into all kinds of trouble for and continues <laughs> to be in trouble for. <laughs> I mean, be able to, you know, you, you step out of the line. Yeah. Yeah, they basically like all the art critics of that time, like basically made him walk the plank. You know, they condemned him to death. <laughs> but now now he's being condemned because he, he's got all these paintings of Klansmen, you know, and people think that that means that he's like promoting the Klan. Right. Which which okay. is just which is just very uh, well, whatever. <laughs> yeah, people, no, no, no sense of art. I, under, no. I understand it, but whatever. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I mean, you know, there's paintings of like their self-portraits. There's this guy in a hood who's painting a portrait of a canvas with a guy on a hood in it, you know, like <laughs> I don't I don't think people that are into white power like would make a painting like that, you know, like that, that's not what that painting is saying, you know. Right. That's not what it's about. No. <laughs> Like, <laughs> but yeah anyway so you're djing saturday i'm not djing i'm I'm just uh i think i'm supposed to go up there i don't know what the hell i'm supposed to do they haven't told me i guess introduce them or something okay uh, yeah i don't i thought i was reading something but i don't know what i i don't know what i'm doing i'm just i'm helping my friends celebrate their record release you know two plus years after it came out yeah <laughs> that's what um, i'm doing <laughs> Reading. It yeah. was, but it'd be nice if there was somebody could come along and, you know, open up a new, grab a. There's this company in Germany that makes makes new record presses. Mm-hmm. Be the best ones in the world. So it'd be great if somebody could come along with enough money to buy a dozen of them. <laughs> no shit. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't know. I I guess <laughs> eventually this. Sorry, I was, I was rambling. Sorry. No, I guess eventually this thing will run its course, the vinyl popularity thing, and it'll die down. I don't know, but it it seems like it will. And again, I work in a record shop and I was like, I wonder how long I'll have this job. But I've been there a month now. And I'm like, I think I'm gonna have this job a while. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like we we just got, you know, we're still buying there are still new records. It's weird. Like what has happened, what has changed is the distribution for vinyl is not what it was. Like, you know you're not going to get them everywhere. Like you're not going to get them at people were, I saw somebody complaining online that they couldn't get them at target anymore. (laughs) I was like, well, you know, all right, that's, that's fine. But you don't, you know, there are still record stores in America. You can still go to a record store and buy records. It's not, you don't have to go to target. 
yeah. It's not like it was in the seven in the seventies where you know I remember as late as nineteen seventy nine, seventy eight or seventy nine. Mm-hmm. I bought 45s at the gas station. Wow. Yeah, I mean we were we were on the road. I actually I remember it quite well now. I did it twice, and, it may, and it's funny because it seems like it may even have been the same gas station both times. Mm-hmm. I was on my way to visit relatives in Louisiana, mm. and uh, I heard. The first time it was telephone line by ELO, mm. and uh, I heard it on the radio while we were on the road. And then we got to a gas station at some point later that night, and yeah. they had a pack of forty fives, and I bought it. Huh. And again, a couple of years later, I heard um, "Heaven Knows" by Donna Summer on the radio, mm-hmm. and we pulled into. And this was like late at night; it was on the radio somewhere in the middle of the no, in the middle of America. We were on yeah. thirty five on the way to Louisiana. It's the only way to get there from, from you know the north. Yeah, and, uh, it was it was on the radio, and then about you know fifteen minutes later, we pulled into a gas station at like two o'clock in the morning, and they had a rack of forty fives, and there it was heaven knows, so I bought it. That's great. I mean, <laughs> and I remember there was a TV repair shop next to the garage that my dad worked at. My mm-hmm. dad worked at a, my my uncle owned an auto body shop, and my dad worked there mm. uh, occasionally. And next door to that was a TV repair shop, and he had a rack of forty. He always had the top 40 45s, the mm-hmm. top 40 R&B singles in the in, right above the counter. And uh, I would take my allowance some days, and I would go in there and I buy whatever caught my ear that week. You know, I bought I bought Boogie Yogie Yogie by Taste of Honey there. That was also <laughs> seventy eight. But I also I remember I think I bought Disco Duck there by Rick D. So that would have been nineteen six. <laughs> So yeah, so you know, you could used to be able to buy records everywhere, and it's not like that now. You, no, you know, record, they're a specialty thing because we've moved past like the department store. You know, we've moved past the mass mass distribution like that. Now everything is a specialty distribution. You know, like there's a there's a store here in New York that sells nothing but socks. Right. So you know, <laughs> that's all they sell, literally. Yeah. And we're we're at that place now. Uh, we're 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 at that place again because we had stores like that before the war, before World War One. Anyway, sure. Definitely, before World War Two, and probably and definitely before World War One, we we had we had stores that were that sold literally one thing and yeah. could get by selling the one thing. But then after the war, everything went to mass distribution, where you went to these vast outlets, you know, Sears, Montgomery Ward, and J.C. Penney's, etc. You went to these vast outlets to buy everything. And now we're back to where, you know, you can specialize in a thing. And so record stores are able to hold on because they specialize in the one thing. Well, they're also providing an experience that you can't have on the Internet, which is all all the store can do now, you know? Yep. Because you can't you can't compete economics wise with. No, you can't. There's no way. Uh, yeah you're gonna lose all you the only thing way you can compete is by providing something that the screen can't you know which is you walk um, in see all the records at one place and you see a person that you see a person yeah uh, (laughs) yes (laughs) right yeah so uh, yeah everything old is new again right right (laughs) and yeah, I mean, I, I was just talking to uh, another musician who's got a like a teenage kid and their his teenage kid has started a band and it's really interesting to watch what they're into. And they're they're into these like weird, 
like old things like making zines, you know? Yeah. Like they want to do all that that shit that's like so outmoded, so old, you know? Right. Because uh, they want to have those experiences. Yeah, it's a tactile, it's a physical experience, a physical object that's not, you know, it's it's different from, you know, yeah. the online. It's a, it's a thing. You know, I was just saying saying to someone just last week about about records they were they were talking about you know records going away or something along those lines you know before when we came up you know people went on tour to support the record sales yeah you know we made records to support the records we went on tour now the record is just a thing on the merch table yeah the tour is the thing like we you put out the record and people get to hear the record but we about the record in the hopes that that will get them yeah. into, into the venue to see you. You know, it's reversed now. Like we went on tour to, to get people to buy the record. Now you, you put out the record to get people to come see you. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was shocked to hear like from another musician whose band got on a major label at a certain point that the major label wouldn't let them sell their record on tour. You know, <laughs> they wouldn't let them do it. Uh, yeah, they we, would sell it in stores. They wouldn't let them take the records and sell it. This oh, is a, it would ring up. It would not ring up as sales for the label. It rings up as sales for the band. Yeah, and this is before like you know merch tables were really a thing. Yeah, this, this was like you know like around 1990. Yeah, okay. And at that point, for like, I like all, I he was saying like all these people were interested in their band, but they couldn't get their record. Wow. It was this bizarre, bizarre situation, but it was like, yeah, it was that time when like the, you know, these um, majors were selling, signing all these bands from the underground room, from college oh, rock yes. and stuff. Yeah. Because, because of, you know, because of Nirvana and all the rest of it, you know? Yeah. The dirt bumps almost got swept up in that. We had, we had interest from TVT. Yeah. We had interest from Tommy boy of all labels. Wow. Yeah, and uh, some brief interest from Capital that probably would have gotten assigned had I not been a dick. Just <laughs> 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 gonna leave that there. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, you were telling me about like buying the forty fives on like like childhood trips and stuff, but like, oh, yeah, what was yeah. what was the first like? What was your your own first? experience with music like playing playing music yeah like what was when did that start i don't know when i wanted to play music because i it just it it was it wasn't the main thing because i was really a i was really a science nerd Mm -hmm. really and sometime around nine years old I don't know. I'm trying to, it's funny because I thought about this the other day. I was like, when did I really like, and I remember that when I was a kid, what I really wanted because, you know, because of when I grew up, what I really wanted was to be an astronaut. Ah. (laughs) But, you know, like I had NASA, like actually doing things, you know, it was, was, you know, I, I saw the, you know, I I saw many Apollo missions as a kid on on television and Mm. I saw my lab and they were, you know, they were actually doing things, but, I guess at some point I found out that you have to have 2020 vision to be an astronaut. I do not mm. like join the, you can't even be in the air force unless you have 2020 vision and I don't. So yeah, that hurt me. It kind of hurt my feelings. Yeah. 
But around the same time, I just got heavily into music. I don't know what happened there, but I got heavily into music. Yeah. And started started combing the family record boxes, you know, and just like keeping everything. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, there were boxes of records in the garage. And I just started keeping them. Nobody else wanted them. I was like, oh, all right, these are mine now. <laughs> so it started as a collecting thing. Yeah. Like a, yeah. And I don't know when I really I don't know when I got into the idea or when I fell prey to the idea of playing music because I never really, you know, I'm, I'm gonna tell you um what happened, and I think this this probably ties into it. Uh some in the early 80s, I don't know when this was, but uh uh but the internet says it was 1981. Uh-huh. <laughs> there was, an, was an art professor in Detroit. Mm-hmm. There's a guy named David Barr, and I didn't know this until recently. I never knew his name, but I, mm-hmm. I looked. I had to look up the the idea. And he was a, he's an artist. He actually has artworks all over Detroit. Mm. I never met this guy, but he had announced that he had finished this work of conceptual art, which I didn't even know what conceptual art was. But what he yeah. did, what he did was it was a project called Four Corners, mm. and what he did was he made a he made the world's largest sculpture, literally. Mm. Which what he did was he made a sculpture out of the entire earth. He worked out four corners of the planet mm-hmm. and he went to them. It took him 10 years. He went to yeah. them and he capped them off. <laughs> making <laughs> making the four making the four corners of the earth and turning the entire planet into a sculpture. <laughs> and when i read them that he had a, a two of the two or four pages with a four-page spread in the detroit mm-hmm. news when he'd finished this and they were like a whole thing and it absolutely changed my life that uh, moment i remember and I, I didn't remember this until i was an adult but i was so absolutely stunned that i didn't talk for almost two days <laughs> I couldn't even speak. I was so my brain was so blown, and uh, I remember my dad asked me, "What's the matter? Yeah, <laughs> what's wrong with you?" And I was like, <laughs> "I was so, my, I was just I was absolutely, you know, my mind was just completely blown." And yeah. from that day, I said, "This is what I want to do. I want." To make conceptual art yeah you know like that I said, that's what i want to be that's what i want to be and <laughs> uh, you know of course i'm like 12 i wasn't 12 yeah. i was 14 mm-hmm. no idea what conceptual art was yeah no idea but you know the idea of art existing inside your head but not in any like physical plane was such a such a mind shattering concept that you could create a work of art that didn't exist physically but existed in the in, in somebody's head. Mm. Oh my god! This is my god. That's that is the you know most intense shit I ever heard in my life. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's what I decided that was what I wanted to do, but I never followed through on it. Like, or I never followed through on any sort of uh, what's what I'm looking for? Uh, institutional training mm-hmm. in it, in the in conceptual art, because I didn't have a name for it. I didn't yeah. know that it was called then. 
in, yeah. in 1981. I didn't know. I didn't know anything about it. I took some art classes. Yeah, but they teach you art. They don't teach yeah. you, you know, conceptual art. And also, at the same time, the actual conceptual art movement was kind of petering out because, you know, people were realizing that going to a gallery where there actually isn't anything yeah. is, is kind of boring. So, yeah, you know, like so. There, there's plenty of documentation of conceptual art works, but all it is is documentation. Yeah, it's an it's an afterthought. It's an that's yeah. yeah, yeah. So I didn't really have anything, but I got in, I got heavily into records, and I got into uh, also around the same time it occurred to me just now. Uh, I really wanted to get into into. I also wanted to be a TV presenter. Mm. I had somehow and, and I'd somehow fallen fallen in love with the idea of being a being a television presenter, uh, thanks in no small part to Sesame Street. Ah. <laughs> show like Sesame Street. And so uh ten, we're we're going off on a tangent here, but we'll get back to that. Oh uh, no, that's all right. Th- this this <laughs> this is exactly what I wanted was tangents. That's all I care about. <laughs> All right, all right. We're we're going to take. We're we're, we're not. We we don't have to stay on task. Like we're, we're there's not an agenda. All right. So I had become enamored of the idea of becoming a TV presenter because of Sesame Street. I wanted to be. I would have loved to have been on a show. You know, when you're interacting with weird critters like on Sesame Street. So that was. So mm. I I uh, went I went and I uh, I started when I was twelve, and it took me five years to change my speaking to change completely alter my diction so that i sounded like a tv presenter that's why i sound that's why i talk the way i talk now wow what did you do what kind of you made yourself do exercises or just i i consciously edited everything i said and how i said it while in, in, in while on the fly wow yeah, I just I got rid of all the y'alls and the nms and everything like the the draw because my parents are from northern Louisiana, so yeah, I grew up with a with a rural Louisiana drawl. Yeah, and I can't even do it now. Like I spent sure. so much time like throttling it when mm-hmm. I uh, when I spoke that I can't do it now. Yeah, wow. So, so it's like you went to you sent yourself to your own acting school or something. Yeah, I did. I went to speech. My, I did, did do it yourself speech therapy. Huh. <laughs> but I still stutter. Mm. People don't realize it until they actually, until I said, until I tell them, say, well, you know what? I, I stutter because my, yeah. my dad stuttered and one of my sisters stutters. Like it was a, it was a family trait. My yeah. dad was, just, and so I am too. And I, and in the course of changing the way I spoke, I also managed to stop a lot of the stuttering, but it's, it's still there. If mm-hmm. I get excited or, or angry or something, it's still there. Right. I know. But uh, after that, so anyways, I got into conceptual art mm-hmm. and it didn't really have an outlet. I never really had an outlet for it until the dirt bombs mm-hmm. where I, when the Gorys were on tour and I was trying to work out what I was going to do, do next, because uh, as everyone knows, during our European tour, our only real tour in 1992, we broke up. Mm-hmm in the middle of the tour, but we decided to um, fulfill our contractual obligations and do the tour yeah. out. And so, because we kind of needed the money, so yeah. <laughs> we're like, well, <laughs> we don't have to speak to each other off stage, so we won't. Yeah. 
cool. Well, we're going to finish these shows so that we can get home. But then after that, don't call me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so in the middle of that, I was, you know, working out what the next band was going to be. And I thought, hmm, here is, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to design this band on paper as if it were an object. Right. I'm going to make a spec sheet. And so while we were driving, I remember remember distinctly, while we were driving through somewhere in rural Germany, Mm -hmm. we just did a show in a town called Bikersheim, which actually was one of the best gigs on the tour. And there's, Bikersheim is like a little farming podunk in the middle of nowhere. And the biggest building in town is the club is the clubhouse for their football team mm. that's where we played yeah and it only held about 75 people wow <laughs> so yeah anyway so after that show the next day i was sitting there we were driving around driving to the next gig and i thought this is what i'm going to do i'm going to yeah. make a spec sheet for the next band and then i'm going to make the band fit the spec sheet yeah and that was my first real conceptual art project and it became the dirt bombs. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and people hate to hear me say it and they hate to hear me talk about it, but the dirt bombs was the conceptual art project. It wasn't. Why do project. people hate that? It, I mean, it's so obvious. It, it goes against their. Yeah. I'm glad you said that <laughs> <laughs> because it goes against their idea of, you know, rock stars. I don't know. I don't know what the, I don't know what the issue is. So, so does this, this kind of connects up with what we started on about those, like the DJ, the people in yeah. New York that, that were mad at you for not just playing like their idea of rock music. Yeah. Yeah. So here's a, this is not their idea of a band. Like, you know, it was never meant to be a band. Yeah. You know, that we talked about this before. I'm not sure if I told you the whole story of what the original project was for the Dirt Bombs, because Mm-mm. the original project was that the, the Dirt Bombs were going to cut 15 four song, seven inch EPs. Ah. And then I was going to make a bunch of ephemera yeah. for shows and shit that the band never actually did. Yeah. But put it up around town, you know, put it all out, you know, put it in mm-hmm. stores and put it on, you know, tack it to poles and a whole bit. Yeah. Wait 10 years. Yeah. And then make a book interviewing people who would have been around yeah. for all of the shows that didn't exist, but then interviewed them about the shows. Yeah. And use their false memories as the book no i I don't remember you telling me that that's great yeah i'm not sure if i I wasn't sure if i did or not but that (laughs) was like 10 years after the fact put together a book like a you know how they uh like please kill me where they interview people like piece by piece oh yeah okay what those those books are called how those what that style of 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 book is like oral history or history that's it put together an oral history uh, of people who who are there and like recounting their time, like their time at shows that never actually happened. Yes. That's funny. Uh, yeah, I just, I just read and actually reviewed this book. That's it's a forthcoming book, uh, called X members by this guy. He's in the, <laughs> he's in New York. Uh, his name is, uh, Toby Carroll, Tobias Carroll. He mm-hmm. runs a site called volume one, Brooklyn. It's a literary site. Okay. But he wrote this book about a fake, like legendary New Jersey punk band. And half of it is, is this fake, like no perfect oral history of this band that never was. Yeah. Just because (laughs) he's been a music fan so long, 
he could yeah. and he's read enough of these books and they're all about the same you know more or less yep <laughs> and of course they have the tri- you know they have the triumphant reunion the whole the whole nine you know yeah all, all it, it checks all the boxes yeah <laughs> awesome it's a fun yeah you should pick you you get a kick out of this book i think it comes out in a couple of months but uh yeah um that was my plan was to do you know and the book would be filled with ephemera and then like real people's fake memories mm -hmm. yeah because because of course you know those shows would never have happened so that was the plan but then you know we got to plan we we actually did some shows and that Mm -hmm. was the mistake was to actually play some real shows <laughs> <laughs> but but uh you know it went well and then there was a point at which you know it started paying really well yeah and at that point it stopped being it stopped you know like the conceptual art part went out of the kind of kind of went to the wayside and I, it was a, an actual band so uh-huh. i mean as a conceptual art project their bombs were an abject failure as a yeah. band, we did okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's still, but it bothers people because, because, you know, I never wanted, I, I picked, an, I deliberately picked a name that mm-hmm. didn't have any kind of scene connotations. Yeah. Like, I wanted no part of any scene. I deliberately tried to keep the dirt bombs yeah. free of these scene stuff. Yeah. And yet, you know, it just, there was no, somehow it just wasn't, I wasn't able to avoid it. I think I think I wasn't artsy enough at the outset. Maybe, but yeah, like people, like most people, especially going to be was going to do it. (laughs) You know, most people just they're either small minded or they just cannot. They need to slot things in a particular place. Yeah, they have their sweet spots and they don't like shit like not fitting. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) This came up in the in the talk with uh, Tom too was like like the pressure of even like like a cult band like cheater slicks have a very devoted but very small audience you know yeah Yeah. and yet they they have fans that will like write to him or like message him like wanting him basically like they want they want them to you know like record murder again you know like the same like a song they made like 30 years ago yeah like and they're not like the you know it's it's like a living engaged thing it's got to evolve and mutate you know we haven't gotten people asking me to do that again to do anything again but they just want why can't you guys just be cool oh really (laughs) (laughs) just be cool and like you know what they're dealing with like you know like i've constantly told people i have no shame on stage especially with the dirt bombs like i will do anything yeah you know, and that re- and that's what bothers. Like, just I won't play it cool. Like, I won't be the cool rock band that they want. They want the Dirt Bombs to be. It's like so I never who, I mean, to be for the cool people. The Dirt Bombs, you know, is, is like nerd rock. The Dirt well, yeah. Revenge of the Nerds rock. Yeah. So, <laughs> do they? Do you think they want the Dirt Bombs to just be the Gories, or, or is it something else? It seems to be something else. Like they, they seem to want to slot us. In the into some other thing like not not in the sort of way that the, the glories are trapped in amber stylistically speaking yeah they want something else and I, and I, you know I don't mean that in a bad way I think that's yeah. that's fine that's what the glories always were yeah 
you know. But but like you say, you say it wasn't like the Gorys are not a conceptual project, but like there had to be an idea with that band too. It was an idea, but there was also a scene that we were we thought ourselves part of. Yeah, there were there were other bands calling themselves garage rock. Yeah, that we were we were like okay, this is this we were we called ourselves part of that scene. We were a garage band. We always were. Yeah. The, the Gories always were. The Dirt Bombs were never meant to be part of garage rock or any scene. You know, yeah. I, I, tell, I, used to, I, I used to tell people, you know, we were a new romantic band mm. until I realized that people were too young to get the joke. <laughs> yeah. If you weren't, if, if you were around for a new romantic band, then it doesn't make any sense. You know, that it's like a non sequitur practically to tell people that the Dirt Bombs are a new romantic band. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, but you know, but, even like, but I've told I've told people I've said it for years. The Dirt Bombs owe way more to Roxy Music than we ever will to the Standells, mm. you know, or the Watch Band. Yeah, and it's that's just where we're from. Yeah, huh? We're just louder and faster, <laughs> right? <laughs> From the same, we're cut from the same cloth as Roxy Music and/or Sparks. We're just louder and faster than either band. <laughs> yeah, uh, and I mean, but yeah, every 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 Dirt Bombs record is kind of like its own thing. Yeah, I had to do something uh, to make it interesting to myself. Right, like, I'm a singles person. Yeah, you know, I grew up with singles, and you know, it, as a, as a statistic from the RIAA. Black music, black music, black people prefer singles six to one over LPs. Huh. Um, so there's that for some reason. No one quite knows why, but it is. Um, and uh, and also I have a I have a very short attention span. Oh yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so if I'm gonna make an if I'm gonna sit through an album, it had better be goddamn interesting. If I'm gonna sit, if I'm gonna take 40 minutes of my time, my attention span is exactly two hours. Yeah. You got you have two hours, which is so, and this is a problem with my girlfriend because I can't binge watch. I oh yeah. Know, after after two episodes, I'm done. Yeah, you just drift. Yeah. Yeah. So so for an album, like I just can't be arsed to listen to the same group for more than half an hour yeah <laughs> I, just, I just can't i just can't be bothered uh so if i'm gonna make an album it has to be interesting it has to be something that i myself would be interested in hearing for more than 30 minutes yeah so that so i had to make each each lp had to be a like a project of some kind in order in order to make me sit through it <laughs> yeah <laughs> so i figure if i if i can sit through it for 40 minutes 50 minutes then the person you know somebody else will be able to also my i mean my personal favorite is maybe the longest is that party store record yeah, that, store. which is yeah. party store was never meant to be an album yeah that we had a huge and this this is the thing right <laughs> this is this is a break with with dirt bombs fan fandom uh-huh. here because uh party store was actually meant to be a stopgap in between uh-huh. albums Oh, okay. It was uh, the reason it came out as three singles is because they were supposed to be three separate singles. Yeah, that's why the when the vinyl package is three twelve inch singles because he goes 
they yeah. were supposed to come out over the course of over the course of a summer. Like one would come out in May, next one would come out in July. Oh, I see. Yeah. Yeah. And then and then the last one would have the cover that yeah. you put you put all three records in. That was yeah. the original idea. And in the red went with that idea. Mm-hmm. And he, they said, Oh, that's that's actually pretty cool. Yeah, we'll we'll do that for you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we'll, and then and so um we 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 did the recording in 2010. Mm-hmm. We started started work on it in February 2010, and uh, we we put the put the 12 inches together so that they would make decent singles. Mm-hmm. And then Scion, who had been lurking around Detroit recording rock bands and techno artists, mm-hmm. found that this rock band was doing a bunch of techno records. Yeah, and they got involved. And said, "Hey, we want a piece of this project, but we don't want to do it the way you're doing it. We want to put it all out as one thing. Huh. We'll, pay, that we'll we'll underwrite it if you put the entire package out at once." Oh wow! And uh, I was like, "Well, I I, I didn't care, you know, because yeah. I had other shit happening in my life at that point." Yeah. Um. So I left it to in the red, and they said, "Yeah, okay, fine." which didn't seem like that was going to be a problem mm-hmm. except that bug in the bass bin, which is a Carl Craig cover that is yeah. 50 minutes long right. is in the middle of the record. Mm-hmm. If you're listening to it on CD, there's a 15 minute jazz rock odyssey right in the middle of this otherwise dance record. Yeah. And that really got people angry. And I don't, you know, because they didn't understand like, why wasn't that at the end? Uh-huh. Because it wasn't meant to be, you know, this was never meant to be a CD. This was meant to be a series of things. Yeah. So the second single happened to have a 15-minute noise rock odyssey on the yeah. beast. You know, if you listen to it, you know, the way, if it was, if it came out the way we had planned, none of this would have happened. But this became <laughs> a true thing. And, and Party Store became the Dirt Bombs Sandinista. <laughs> <laughs> where and in fact there's a, there's, a, there's practically an in-joke if you look at new copies of it and there are still new copies because the only dirt bombs record that never sold out of its first pressing yeah there's a sticker on it that says not exact not quite metal box more like sandinista on the record <laughs> huh I, I should check I, I i i picked up a copy of it but like in the last couple of years yeah like the 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 vinyl yeah. Yeah. Just because um, I kept playing it and play I people would love when I was bartending still, I would play it at the bar all the time. Awesome. People people loved it. Yeah. <laughs> it's the only record I've ever made that didn't sell its first printing. Huh. If you buy a new copy of Party Store now, you're you're still buying the first printings that came out in twenty ten. Yeah, I don't remember where I where I got it. It was somewhere <laughs> online somewhere online I, I tracked down. Yeah. Probably probably a discog, somebody so yeah, the discogs, yeah, sure. um, yeah. So, so this is so this became a big, a big issue that this you know I'm still hearing about. It. I'm still hearing about how angry people are that this 15 minute thing is in the middle of the record. You know, <laughs> why did we blah blah blah? Why did we do this thing? And why did we blah blah? blah it's going on and on, you know. And so and so after that, um, like I know who the fans are. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, people understood. I think pe- people got it. They understood yeah. after party store that this is not 
a garage band. The dirt yeah. ones are not a garage band. Like when we first, I don't know, I've been trying, I've been telling people since before the first record, you know, I, I when the first record came out, mm-hmm. uh, Horn Dog Fest, yeah, first record came out, there was a mat, there was a, 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 a zine in Oslo. Uh huh. And they devoted 3,000 words mm-hmm. to lambasting that album. Wow. They savaged it. 3,000 words. <laughs> That's a lot of energy and time to expend on something you, you supposedly was, hate. <laughs> yeah. They, and it was, it, was so, it was so vitriolic that I actually thought it was funny. It became more of a, and the guy wow. didn't like it, but it was like a parody. It was a parody of bad reviews, practically, by the end of it. Yeah, and, but, and, you know, what do they say? Thin, <laughs> thin line between love and hate, right? Or exactly. me thinks you protest too much. You know, yeah. like, <laughs> if it bothers you that much, it must it have really you. opened a nerve. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's how I felt the times. Like, wow, I really hit a nerve with this guy. Yeah. And it, became, it, be, it was in that's the inspiration for the song they hate us in scandinavia <laughs> that's what that song is about you know <laughs> and, and i've met that guy in the years since oh we got really to, we got to oslo and i met that guy and we laugh about it now like mm-hmm. we like, yeah, like i was like yeah i was probably you know I, I was you know i thought it was something different than it really was like he understood by the time i met him he understood yeah you guys really aren't the band that you know what i thought you were with i still i love i love the i like the dirt bombs but i understand now that it wasn't a garage band mm-hmm. <laughs> you know but but you know but people finally understood with party store that we're just not going to be that band that you want us to be so bad yeah well you know one of the things that that record did for me was like like when i heard it that was right when i was on, i was very late to any of that like like kind of Detroit techno or Chicago yeah. house music. It helped me under bridge the gap for me. Yeah. To, people, to understand that music from a from a like a a delivery system that I understood, which was rock music. You know, yeah. like <laughs> so it was good. like training wheels for me, you know, to and then sure. like now I can listen to all kinds of like weird robot music that I wouldn't ever accept earlier, you know, in life. Yeah. That's great. I'm glad. So, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, that was, yeah it, you helped. <laughs> yeah, my hope was that it would enable people to hear, you know, what it is about techno music that that we like. That people yeah. like it. You know, there is a rebellion there. You know, and as yeah. a, a, you know, for especially for for black people, techno is is filled the the gap that punk rock did. Yeah. For for people who like for you know for like the prog scene, yeah, you know techno for us was like the punk scene because it was just it was it's it's fast, loud, and weird. The, there's a really cool project that I don't know somebody in in Chicago did about like you know history of Chicago music by decades and stuff. Mm-hmm. So they had like you know they had the disco era and then they followed it with the the house era, and yeah. You could see it's the same music, except they took a bunch of parts out, like they took like the horns out and they just made it repetitive. But like the (laughs) like the vocals are the same, you know, it's still disco music, but like way minimal, you know, the element, the the element, the elements are still there. They're slightly rearranged. I remember the first time I heard house music, 
yeah. a friend of mine, uh, a friend of mine was, we he took, brought me, we were sitting in a car, we were hot boxing. Uh-huh. And, and he goes, you're gonna, you like disco, so you're gonna love this. And he played me some Chicago tunes, and I actually didn't like them. Yeah, I was like, this is it's too basic. It, this doesn't have, you know. I get that I, I can I can feel the rhythm and yeah. that part cool and the this kind of thing, but it, it's missing the uh, what I now think of as the the, the disco filigree. Yeah, you know, that like that cocaine addled other yeah. stuff that made disco disco. You know, it doesn't have any of that. And so I was kind of down on it. And he's yeah. like, wow, I would like this more. I was like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about this, man. It's like, it's disco-esque. Yeah. You know? But it isn't really the, it's not really the thing. But, you know, I, but, you know, six months later, I was like, I'm all in it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I was like, oh, it took it's me forever. Fun. It took me forever and ever and ever to, for that, for that, for that music to click. But now, yeah. like, I listen to it all the time. <laughs> yeah, the moment was there was a you know I, I can't I can't tell when I crossed over into into really being a fan but there was a moment somewhere where I was you know a constant habitue at the local store that sold the sold local techno bands you know mm-hmm. I don't know when that was but there was a moment where suddenly I found myself there all the time buying the new records yeah I don't know what it was but yeah I I uh, I just I but I still love disco yeah i still love the you know heavy lots of strings mm-hmm. lots of latin lots of uh you know latin percussion Af- afro latin percussion and lots of gospel vocals yeah you know i love it still love it and i, I would love I, you know I, I wish there was enough of a i wish it wasn't so expensive to make i wish there was still was a scene for disco you know for mm. like Disco records. There are occasionally new disco records. Like I've I've seen a couple over the years. So I know yeah. that people still make making the attempt at getting like full string sections into a studio to cut disco records. So I know it still happens, but it doesn't happen, you know, quite as often as, as I would like. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, there there are, you know, a place there, there's very, very rarely there are still disco nights places where it's like real discos like there's a there's a guy named scott zacharias mm. and I've, I've dj'd with him and he's an incredible dj when it comes as far as, as as disco goes as disco djs goes he's one of the best in the country mm. um, he 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 is acutely aware of you know it's it's origins it's heyday like new records that are actually disco or disco adjacent he's 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 got the good he can deliver the goods um, mm. So I know there are disco nights. Yeah. You know, again, it doesn't happen often enough. And I, when I DJ now, even at, especially at my residency, God, God knows those people get enough of me playing disco records. Yeah. But, <laughs> you know, but I just, I, I, I still love it. I still, I still would like to have more disco records, but. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I warn everybody, like when it comes to DJing, if, if I'm doing a DJ night and it happens to fall on my birthday, mm-hmm. then be prepared to hear nothing but disco all night. <laughs> that is that is my personal rule. Like if I'm DJing and it's my birthday, I'm playing what I, I'm playing all the disco I can stand, and I, I have a very very high threshold. Yeah. So all, all that said, and all that all this evidence to the contrary, how come your first? Uh, how come like the Gorys were like a garage band? Like your for one of your early bands, why was it a garage band? 
well, let's one of the most base answer I can give you is it was opportunity. Yeah. But um also Dan and Peg and I were mods. Yeah. In the day. And, and we were, you know, I was a I DJ'd. Uh, I was a mod DJ. I played lots of like soul and blues and R and B and Motown and all that stuff that you get at a mod show. And Dan was in a band. Mm. Um, and uh we wanted to we talked about being a band and at some point when mod when the mods sort of faded away mm. and everybody got into garage rock yeah at kind of the same time we thought well let's have a go at being a garage band we, we heard these bands calling themselves garage bands yeah and, and it didn't really fit what we the garage bands that we were hearing it was like oh, it's, it's cool but it's all you know sort of west coast granny glasses and page boy haircuts and shit and, yeah you know we can we can be a lot more primitive than that yeah so we set about becoming the most primitive band that anybody had ever heard mm -hmm. so so we we look we we deliberately picked instruments we didn't know how to play yeah and uh worked from there we just <laughs> become the most primitive basic you know band playing blues based music that you could ever hear in your life that was the plan and and, and as far as we're concerned it worked <laughs> it worked and it really i mean to me it this this it's also a conceptual yeah it was it was i you know it was an idea like because it was so yeah they resisted the higher concept things that i brought to it yeah in the long term that was probably for the best anyway but yeah, I mean, to 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 start a, a garage rock band of any kind in the '80s, you know, that's it's way out of time, you know. It was still very unfashionable. Yeah, like when we were as mods, it was you know the things that we were into were super unfashionable in the mid '80s, mm. um, and we just went we went with it. it. Was it was it became that became part of the rebellion, you know, the this our, our teenage years. Yeah. That our rebellion was to be just to even even in being rebellious we picked rebellious things we rebelled against the rebellion you know what i mm -hmm. mean we went further into it than merely not liking pop culture not only did we not like pop culture we didn't even like the alternative to the pop culture that existed <laughs> <laughs> so so we just got you know so we were off literally in our own territory like in our own sort of space that was the you know the 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 being a mod was just like you were literally just like out in in the wilderness, and mm -hmm. this is the internet. So you know you you were almost treading new territory. What we're yeah. trying trying to piece together a thing that had no American equivalent. Right. Yeah. You know, you know it was it was based. All the elements were American, but the thing itself was not. You know what I mean? Like it was all American blues, American soul music. Yeah. You know. You know, it was all the, all the elements were American, but the thing itself was not American, and so that was very weird. And you are you, you know it, in 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 and in, 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 in a sense highly conceptual, which yeah. again again appealed to me in a way that you know I I just I don't know I was drawn to it. The other big thing I really wanted to ask you more about is this 
this new language thing that you you mentioned. (laughs) Please tell me all about that. (laughs) Speaking of conceptual projects, just because I I guess you don't have enough. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I don't have enough going on in my life. Yeah, this is this one is an actual like conceptual project. Yeah, and it started because uh, got something got up my nose again, as these things often do with me somehow. Yeah, Um, but uh, I have always been a fan of constructed languages. I mean, I think the one constructed language everybody knows is Esperanto, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody knows Esperanto because it's been around since 1888 and has about 20 million speakers in the world. And but there are others. Mm-hmm. There are actually constructed languages that predate Esperanto, but they're just not as popular because they're one assumes they're not as good, whatever. Yeah. Um, and there's a scene, there's like an internet scene for constructed languages. Even back when I first got on the internet in 1999, before mm. the web, I was on the I, I worked at university, so I was on the internet before there was a world wide web. I, I, in fact, I'm sure you've heard the the the, the joke that, um, you know, if you if you like your your the internet, thank a furry, mm. <laughs> make the internet go. Yeah, and I was one of those. I worked in IT, uh, and, and I was one of the furries that made the internet go. Wow! No, I did not know that. <laughs> there was a time in the in the late in the late '90s. There was a, in the mid mid to late '90s, early 2000s when. One in four IT techs in the world was a furry. Huh. Yeah, don't know why that is. We never, no one ever got to the, the to the to the bottom of why this <laughs> happened. But if you if you worked in IT, chances are you were working with a furry. So <laughs> at least one other person in your company, at least one. But the, the, the stat the stat was one in four. So if you had more than four people there, there were two furries working for you. Working, working, <laughs> <laughs> but chances are in 1999 you knew who they were mm-hmm. <laughs> you would know sooner or later who they were because they would all everybody would oh look time to go to a convention we're knocking off see you yeah but i was one of them but anyway uh i got off on a tangent where i was going with that uh, but, um, oh, oh you were talking I, about communities I, for uh the, yeah, the, for the language that, yeah even back then there was an online i was a member of an online community there was a mailing list called conlang l it was a mailing list for people who were into constructed languages and there are people who made their own constructed languages and there still are people mm-hmm. who you know um people do it just as an exercise and some people want to do it um for the same reason that esperanto was developed was because they want to make an auxiliary language for everybody in the world to speak yeah that way, you know, that I, you know, for, for whatever reasons, you know, they want to uh, world peace. The idea behind Esperanto was the guy wanted world peace. You know, he was right. If everybody speaks the same language, we won't have the issues that caused, uh, what was 1888. So I guess we're talking about the Spanish American, not Spanish American war, but whatever the, you know, the Crimean war, whatever was yeah. happening in 1888. <laughs> we won't, we won't have, we won't, we'll, we'll, we'll have, we won't have any wars. Well, this will be an aid to world peace. Yeah. Um, so there's what's called an oxlang, which is those folks who want to want to make a language, you know, that's better than English, that mm-hmm. is easy for everybody to understand, etc. Cetera, et cetera. And uh, I was reading up. I was reading up on them because I, I try to keep up uh, as best as I can. 
mm-hmm. reading up on them, and there was a whole slew of new constructed languages, and uh, they were all giving their, you know, why they were doing it, and you know what they, and I got into the specs of them all and what they were using mm-hmm. to create their languages, and and several of them were were all like, oh, we're using the most spoken languages in the world. We're using this and this, this and this and this. And I happen to notice that none of them were using Swahili. Uh huh. You know, there's 140 million Swahili speakers in the world. Swahili is like the ninth, ninth or tenth most widely spoken language on earth. Wow. And not one of these languages, one of them, one language said that they used Swahili as a basis. Yeah. Is, is in the in the pool of languages that they were drawing from to make yeah. their constructed language and that got up my nose yeah i was, I was like offended it's like you people like, yeah you know some of them were like we're counting italian like italian is a, like no all right now again as a, as a tangent esperanto is supposed to be super easy to learn yeah one of its selling points they have yeah. the little sheets is it is the three it's a three-page sheet it says if you you know you learn the rules on those three pages and you can learn Esperanto in a weekend. Well, kind of Esperanto is super easy to speak. If you already speak one of the romance languages, if you already speak French or Italian or Portuguese, you know, yeah. Then Esperanto is super easy to learn because it's based on those languages. But if you speak a Germanic language, like say English, Esperanto is fucking hard it's as hard as anything else to learn so so anyway i was looking at these languages and they're all saying well we use all these languages and none of them were using any languages from africa i said well how is your language going to be easy to speak if you're african if you don't use any elements african languages now there's like there's like 1200 languages in africa let's not be coy here i'm not you know but yeah. there's six major language groups. You could use any one of those. Yeah. And your language would be easier to learn if you spoke any African language. Mm-hmm. It was a guy, so I said, well, all right, I can do this. I can make a language. These guys seem to be able to do it. How yeah. hard can it be? So I'm going to make a language, and I'm going to start with African languages as a base. Yeah, and somewhere along the line, I, I called it decolonizing language. Oh, I know when that happened. I can tell you right now. <laughs> a uh, the government of Austria, yeah, hired one of their universities. Somebody, somebody in the Austrian government had read read a, read a, with this article talking about how there are linguistic features in European languages that are common to those languages in Europe, but that are not common to the language families that those languages belong to. Hmm. There's six language families in, in Europe that make up the European languages. There's six families. Um, and they're, they're different language families. They don't have things in common. But for example, uh, Hungarian has yeah. things in common with German that it does not have in common with the other languages in the family that Hungarian comes from. Yeah. So there, so they commissioned this study and they found out that there are 10, 10 things that European languages all have in common that they don't have in common with the other languages in their families. 
Uh-huh. It was a list of them. And uh, and I saw this list and I said, okay, as I was doing my initial research, I saw this list of the things. I said, okay, first things, these 10 things have to go. Yeah. So, and I said, and I jokingly said, I'm decolonizing language. Ah. <laughs> Taking all trace of European, uh, of, of what, what's called standard average European. Yeah. I'm making a language that uses none of those things. Mm. So, so that was my original, that's my, was, that was my original idea. So I'm going to, to make a constructed language. That oh, so you were, you, you found those same things were present in the, like in the, in the African based well, languages or this, well, if they're, uh, well, it, it, that's when, you know, it became complicated. Yeah. Because, <laughs> <laughs> because there are 8,000, I think it's 8,400 languages in the world. Mm. And, you know, you, some, they don't, and of course they all have different things and some of them use, some of them have these, these traits that are in standard average European and mm-hmm. some of them don't. And, you know, it may, I'm, I'm still in the, in the, not preliminary stages, I'm still in the early stages of developing a language. So yeah. it may be that I cannot, you cannot have a language that is easy to speak. Yeah. without including some of these traits, one or more of these traits. It might not be possible. Yeah. But I don't well, know. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I'm, uh, you know, Esperanto didn't really, really take off, did it? I mean, you know. No, I, it, I, it, it, it didn't, but it, it did. There's like, there's 20 million speakers. Yeah. You, Where um, do they speak Esperanto? Uh, I don't know. They're, they have <laughs> yearly conferences. Oh, okay. There are places like there are people now who have who speak Esperanto as a first language. Huh. They grew there's enough speakers of the language. There are people now who grew up speaking it, and that is their first language. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, there's that one William Shatner movie. That's 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 basically the extent of my familiarity with Esperanto's Incubus. Incubus. (laughs) So far, the only movie that was that was originally shot in Esperanto. I think I think there are more now. I think there's there's been there's been I'm maybe, sure I'm sure there are. <laughs> I think there's been maybe ten since since 1965. There's been there's <laughs> been one a decade, I guess, <laughs> two a decade, shot in Esperanto. But yeah, there's 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 uh there are giant conferences, and there are I don't know I don't I don't know where you would go. I don't know if there's any communities that have arisen to speak Esperanto, but there are definitely online communities mm. where they, they only speak in Esperanto. And I can't follow. I have a friend who speaks Esperanto, but I can't follow. Huh. I but yeah. he was at it. By the time I met him, he'd already been at it for four years. So he, you know, and then, uh, and then I dropped off. So I know he's, he's better at it than me. He can read, he can read along and I can't I actually know several people who speak Esperanto. Now that I think about it. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, I'm, in, just, I'm making my own. I'm rolling my own here. Yeah. Uh, so, like in the ideal end endpoint scenario, what 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 are your hopes and dreams for this? I would like, love my basic. You know, like what do I hope to get out of this? Is I would love I would love to at least get it get the grammar published, mm-hmm. like as a book. So yeah. there, so at the very least, that there, there is physical documentation of 
the work. Yeah. So that becomes. So what you, I, I see, I, I see, I see a connection here. Yeah. You, you're going to make a book of an oral history and there's going to be 15 singles right? <laughs> <laughs> or whatever it was. What yeah, was the <laughs> yeah, 15 singles or 15 EPs? EPs. Yeah. I'm sorry. I forgot. <laughs> fake, yeah. So, this, so make an oral history of a fake country. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that grew up. But yeah, so that was, that's at the, at the base, the base is to at least uh, I'll have the grammar published and that will be the documentation that, uh, that this thing ever existed. But, you know, ideally I would love to have a community as, as robust as the Esperanto community. Or Do you the, have a uh, name? Is there a name for this language yet? The current, the current working name for the language is Alembe. Alembe? A, yeah. A-L-E-M-B-E. And I had oh. to change it because the original name broke two of the rules that I was, that I wrote into the language. Oh, you, you got that European shit in there? <laughs> yeah, I, two, I had two grammatical rules. So I was formulating the grammatical rules, and, mm. and the original name broke. One, one of them is that you is uh, no double consonants. Oh. Yeah, and the original name had two M's. I was like, okay, mm. I can't use that. But, <laughs> but uh, um, it, so that's the name of it, Alembe. Cool. And, what, and where, what is that, where does that come from? Uh, originally, uh, it's based, the original base of the word is alembic, which is a sort of a vessel used in scientific, re, in, is used in chemistry, but it, it originally was used in alchemy. Alembic mm. uh, is a vessel where you, you sort of put everything in, put your ingredients in, and you heat it. And, and what comes out the other end is distilled. Oh, wow. What, yeah. is a, is a distillation. It's a, dis, it's a distillation vessel, a type of distillation vessel. So the so the end of the end result of you know, alembe is a dis, is a distillation of everything that's going in the uh, the the rules that I'm learning and the the twenty plus languages that I'm using as basis. Yeah. For for the uh, for the language, and that is involving a great deal, a Herculean amount of data entry, which I absolutely cannot stand. That's a- <laughs> That's where you need you need the unpaid intern, right? Like, if I had an unpaid intern, he would have stabbed me to death by now. Unpaid <laughs> 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 entry, <laughs> he would have demanded payment. Any anybody, any sane person would demand payment for for the amount of data entry that needs to go into this. I'm just yeah. doing it, and it's taking forever because I can hardly bear to look at it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you know. At least you know you can cover yourself with the, with the thought that you did it to yourself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm not inflicting this on. I can't, in good conscience, inflict this amount of data entry on someone else. It is <laughs> numbing, and there is a lot of it. There's yeah. Like, for example, there's there's literally I'm, I'm compiling a database, and there's twenty thousand separate data points. That's a rough estimate. 20,000. Yeah, I can't even look at it some days, most days, mm-hmm. but, but it has to get done. Like I can do all the rules formulation and have all the fun with all that stuff that I, that I want, but I can't do any actual work until this database is done. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> well, shit. I, I don't know how long it's going to take me. 
<laughs> I, I gave myself two years to do it, but I, I'll be see. I'm already six months behind. So, when did when, when did you start on this? I started on this uh, in fall, sometime sometime around Christmas of 2020. Oh, okay. I had the idea, and I got really. You know, I started started work. I shouldn't say get involved in it because I didn't really get involved. In it. I started started looking at what I needed to know, like yeah. how to because because it's not you know like you know most people who hear me talk about think it's just a, you know I'm not just take making up new words yeah and putting them on like the template of English. No, I, I got into like how how does language work? How do languages work? What are the things that make up a language? How do you do this? How do, and like I'm formulating it from literally from scratch. And yeah, that is, it's fascinating. It is very arcane and I can see where it would be extremely boring to listen to me rattle on about. Uh, so I'm not getting into any real you know, details. No, well, not to the millions of listeners of this show. <laughs> All right. The, you know. the literal millions, millions yeah. of, uh, who are wrapped <laughs> Right now, well, they're mostly angry that you're not playing in a rockabilly band currently, but or whatever. But, <laughs> but they're okay with this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so you know, I'm not getting into any details, but yeah. So it's it's very it's super arcane, and I'm still fascinated by it. And I'm I'm looking forward to the to the day when I can start actually, you know, crafting words. Now, you know what what are what are called noun phrases in the uh, in the parlance of linguistics. Mm. the rules that I've formed, the grammatical rules that I've formulated. Yeah. But that day is a long way off, and I see it. I, I can see that it is a long way off. It is over the horizon. So like in five, ten years, we can expect expect uh, like a Dirt Bombs record in Alembe? <laughs> <laughs> I might do that. I'm not going to say I wouldn't do it, and I'm not going to say I didn't think about doing it. Oh, it, they've got to converge at some point. You yeah, know, like, at some point they will. At some point, <laughs> me making music and me creating this language will will converge. Yes. <laughs> well, that's all. All that sounds awesome. Uh, <laughs> but you know, until then, like, yeah, I hope to maybe catch you. You know, like in one one of your one of your yeah. bands that sing that sing in English. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> for now i know i know it's very disappointing in old school but <laughs> you'll just have to make do i'm afraid i know i, I but i'll go on the message board and angrily i'll, I'll write a three thousand page screed about how i expected God, to he's just singing a, a set of alembe and all i got was fucking english yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> We'll see what happens there. We'll, we'll, we'll yeah. If I think, uh, yeah, you could, you could reason. It would be reasonable to expect the dirt bombs to have have music in Alembe. You could probably expect something out of me with Wolf Manhattan too, although they don't know that yet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because the thing I like about Wolf Manhattan is they're you know they're just we'll just do any. They're like the dirt bombs in that they'll do anything. But yeah. they'll do anything differently in the way differently than the way the dirt bombs will do anything. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, Wolf Manhattan's interesting because it's sort of like a, a, I don't know if it's a meeting of equals, but you guys each bring very distinct things to that band, you know. 
I, I'm, I'm enjoying, I'm enjoying that about it. You know, we, the Wolf Manhattan is the only band I've ever played in where we actually jam songs into existence. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. I've, I, I, you know, each of us might bring something like, well, like, um, Bob has brought a couple songs and kids brought a couple songs. And I brought a couple songs, but the majority of our recordings are songs that were, that started out as jams. Mm-hmm. And, and then we work them into a song. And that, that is, you know, something I've never done. Like not yeah. even the greatest. We were write songs and they were like, we sit down and like, all right, here's a riff. All right. All right. I got, I got a melody line for that riff. Right. We'll do yeah. that. All right. We need a verse here. All right, we need a, need a bridge here. Right, how's this sound? All right. That sounds good. Like we don't jam them together. We sort of com- construct yeah. them in the dirt bombs. I write everything. So, yeah. But this is like where we sit down and somebody will just start playing a thing and then we'll all sort of follow along or fall in and, you know, and it was, oh, that sounds good. And, and then was, and, and, and then later we'll, maybe somebody will put words to it. And then once there are words, then we kind of come up with an arrangement, but you know, they start off as jams. That's cool. Yeah. I, that makes sense. I, I did. I, I couldn't quite put a finger on to what makes that band sound different than yeah. some of your other stuff. That might, that might be it. Uh, yeah it is you know there are you know the the work tapes you know the the, uh-huh. the 24 track reels of those are you know those songs might go on for seven or eight minutes the right. original and then we'll just like edit it down to a three minute song you know or, or we'll just re-record it all together bob has tapes of us playing the same riff for like 15 minutes yeah <laughs> we just sort of get into it you know yeah, like, yeah. Where, where can we take it. Can we take this somewhere? Let's see. Let's see if this works. You know, we'll, we'll take this lick and we'll do. We'll add this to it, or we'll change it to this yeah. here. See what happens. We just it just go and they go and they go and they go and they go until yeah. maybe we're comfortable with something, and then we'll stop tape, and then we'll yeah. go back, and then we'll say, all right, let's do this here and do that there, and then we jam it again, and we might go two or three passes, and then by the end of the third <laughs> or fourth pass, we'll have a song. That sounds exciting. But yeah, I don't know. I'd love to see that band someday. I've I've never seen that band, obviously. But we yeah, we haven't. We you know we didn't get to the point where we could tour until yeah. right at the beginning of the pandemic. So that hasn't right. happened. But then maybe maybe next year. Yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe in twenty twenty three we'll we'll feel comfortable enough going out, play shows that are not in that are not outdoor shows. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's definitely odd, strange times. Yes, all the way around. <laughs> <laughs> but you said uh, you said that uh, the Gories are playing and Dirt Bombs are playing coming up, or yes, the Gories are playing two shows in L.A. at Zebulon on June sixteenth and seventeenth, I think it is. And uh, the Dirt Bombs are playing the Meltdown Festival in. Mosswood Park in Oakland, California, on July second. Ah, oh, all right, cool. Yeah, that'll be our that'll be the first Dirt Bomb show since 2015, I think. Wow, something like that. Crazy. Yeah, yeah. yeah so the, the, this this happen. this conversation won't even post until August, but. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I, but we're we're so we're going to be talking about the past and the future. Yeah, I've, yeah. I've got it worked out where. I've I've been banking episodes and I'm posting them just once a week, you know. Yeah. Just because I I got otherwise it, it gets to be like chaos, you know. Yeah. And I've got a lot of other shit going on, but uh, yeah, it seems to work okay this way. But uh, you know, 
I'll, I'll let you know when it's up. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. So you you can tell people that are interested to listen to it because yeah, I, I sure, absolutely. It'll it totally fun. it totally uh, it will it will only live if people tell people about it. You know. But of course, in between now and then, I'll have the I'll, I'll actually get the Alembe mailing list up and running. So people. Oh yeah, yeah you. <laughs> there are enough people now who are interested in, in me in hearing and watching me develop this language that I'm, I'm going to have to put together a mailing list to keep people posted. Yeah, so send me all that information. I'm super into it. I mean, like, I think you and I connected on Twitter basically because of Russian. Like you were, yes, you right. wanted me to translate like uh, 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 that the cartoon, Nupa, Nupagadi. Yeah. Nupagadi, yeah. And I, 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 there was a band in I remember that. That's right. I yeah. asked about this band whose name turned out to be Street Dogs or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Lupagadiv is basically like the Bugs Bunny of the Soviet Union. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I grew up with that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have I have all of those episodes now. I'm pretty sure I have all 15. <laughs> so it's, really? I found them all online. Yeah. It, <laughs> that, works. That's, it's, it still works even today. It, ma- it makes sense. It's very relevant to, to your interests. <laughs> yes, it is <laughs> some, relevant to several of them. Hits all the sweet spots, right? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> there was no possible way I could not be a fan of that. Right. <laughs> well, cool. Uh, yeah, thank you so much for giving me all this time. And uh, let, let's please keep in touch. Absolutely. Sweet. Uh, I'll talk to you so- soon, Mick. All right. Yeah, Bye. Bye-bye.